0: Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Chronic Living. Today, I am joined by April, and she's going to share her story being part of the chronic community. Thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So go ahead and, I guess, introduce yourself. Quick rundown of what you're dealing with. Cool,
1: cool. So, um, as Alex mentioned, my name is April. I'm April McGraw. I am actually 49 years old this year. I'll be 50 um, next March. And I have um, dual diagnosis. So I have lupus, which causes kidney disease. So I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 13. Actually... 36 years ago, this exact month, I was diagnosed with lupus. And um, and then about two years later, so I had chemotherapy for six months, went through all that. And um, the doctors were very clear that within two years, my kidneys would fail. And almost two years to the date they did, in October of 2000, I mean, 1987, I actually started peritoneal dialysis. And um, for those who are not really familiar with dialysis, dialysis is when your kidneys no longer function at optimal level. And there are five different stages of kidney disease uh, with five being what we call clinical end stage where the patient is usually either on dialysis or having a transplant, a kidney transplant. And if your, if your kidney disease was caused by just say diabetes, a lot of those patients are looking at a kidney transplant and a pancreas transplant at the same time, because they need to have a treatment for both. Um, So I've been living with those diseases for, of course, over 30 years. And I kind of, I went away to college my first year as an elementary education school um, major. And I piddled around for that for a year and decided that wasn't the course that I wanted to take. And I was really far away from home. I was attending school in Tennessee, and I lived in California. And, um, you know, in your first year of college, you can't have a vehicle. And at 18, I'm still really hiding what I'm doing. So I would go and be away downtown Nashville at Dallas for like hours at a time, just missing, because I'm not wanting to tell anyone that um, on dialysis and that's what I have to do three days a week while I'm while I'm here at college. Yeah. Um.
0: Well, yeah, because it's so embarrassing. Turn back, it's embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it the is. people and, treat you know, differently you're too. Not exactly, exactly, and you know, you're 18. You know, that's like prime as far as you're concerned. You know, you want to date, and you want, you know, you want to be in, the in crowds and different things like that. And you're and you're different, really, and so. Um, I returned to California and I kind of flounder for a while and I end up um, becoming a, um, Well, let me backtrack. I ended up going to a medical assistant, going into a medical assistant program okay. and that was really on a whim. I had no thoughts whatsoever about becoming a nurse or doing anything in the medical field, but I knew I needed something to support myself. So I go into this program and-
0: That's a good job too. <laughs> I did.
1: I learned- yeah, it was. It was. I, I couldn't find a job. No. <laughs> I could not find a job in the field. And I relocated uh, with my then about to be first husband to Mississippi. Now, okay. about this time, I'm back in California and I'm going to Mississippi. And um, so my instructor said, was like, well, April, you know, why don't you go to the local hospital and look for a job in some of the other things that, you know, you learn, being an x-ray technician, being a phlebotomist, and that's what I did so I became a phlebotomist and while working in the hospital I became very interested in working as a nurse with patients I would go onto the floor and I would see these nurses and they're talking to each other and they're communicating with the patients when I go in the room or they're having conversations with physicians and um The more and more that I worked as a phybotomist, the more and more, you know, the idea of being a nurse was um, interesting to me. So I decided to go and enroll in a um, licensed practical nursing program. Some areas of the world is called a a licensed vocational nurse. So it's an LPN or an LVN. And so did that, went through the program at this time, I'm still on dialysis because I did manage to um, have my first kidney transplant a few years prior to that, but it it only lasted about three and a half years. And because I had the lupus, the lupus attacked that kidney as well per the biopsy. Mm -hmm. So at this time, I'm back on dialysis. I'm working as a phlebotomist and I'm going to school to be a licensed practical nurse. And I do this for 18 months. And, um, I get through the program and I actually do pretty well. Um, I'm working, I'm working as a licensed practical nurse inside of a nursing home in the long-term um, setting. And I do this for about five years. And during that time, um, I get called, I'm worked up and called for yet another kidney transplant. So I, I was blessed to have two kidney transplants with this one lasting about eight and a half years. And so during that eight and a half years, I ended up returning back to nursing school. So then I became a registered nurse. And then um, I started working in the field of dialysis. Mm -hmm. So not only am I a dialysis patient, I am now a dialysis nurse. And I've been a dialysis nurse um, for about 19 years now. And I've done everything uh, inside of nephrology. I've worked as a dialysis nurse. I've ran dialysis clinics and i programs that for the patients who are like me, that dialyze at home. Mm-hmm. And so um, I am a peritoneal dialysis patient and um, I run on a machine that's called a cycler. And it's, I, I do about 10 hours each night and I literally set the machine up. It's about, it sits on my nightstand it's about yay big. And I, that's how I dialize seven nights a week for 10 hours. Um, you just to do it while I do it while I'm sleeping. Yeah. Okay. And whether I'm sleeping or not, I go in, I connect. I might be you on know, my laptop, I might watch TV, read a book or something. You no, know, I before just bed. sit in my bed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have to go to sleep. That makes sense. Um, but I am connected to that cycler for 10 hours a night, seven nights a week. And I feel feel pretty decent with that. Now, prior to that, I did what you call in-center dialysis where I actually went to a facility three days a week. And I did that for years, even as a dialysis nurse, knowing that that probably wasn't the best modality for me. I did that for years because I didn't want all the supplies at my home. I didn't really want to, I had this thing that if I'm working in dialysis all day and then I have to come home and do my own dialysis at night, is that too much, is that overkill? and i ended up being promoted and i was promoted to from a charge nurse working with the patients on the floor to running my own facility and at that point i had to make a decision because i needed a different schedule so at that point i started doing dialysis at home okay and um surprisingly it wasn't the overkill that i thought it would be Is you know, it's very different from taking care of patients that has the same disease process that you had during all day and then coming home and then taking care of yourself. Now, I'm not going to say that I wanted to do that every night, but nonetheless, it wasn't as nerve wracking as I thought it was going to be all those years. And so I've been doing my own dialysis at home since 2008.
0: Okay. Um, so very successfully,
1: now. actually. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it has its good and bad. Sometimes I miss being out and talking with other people in the facility, patient-wise, you know, kind of get, especially with with COVID lately. You know, if you're doing dialysis at home already and you don't really have a lot of other reasons to leave the house. Um, So that has kind of been... um, a little isolating but otherwise it's, it's been really good and I still was able to keep up my schedule for working mm-hmm. um up until a year ago I worked full-time as a Dallas administrator and I only left to pursue um starting a renal consulting business and so but I'm still very much part of that world um in the in the in the business that I'm working right now okay but I, I think When you're dealing with a chronic illness and you're still trying to work, have a family, I'm on my second husband now. I have two bonus kids, three grandkids. So I've lived, for all intents and purposes, a pretty normal life, which most people who are not ill would say that that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, it's probably um, coping figuring out and developing my own coping mechanisms
0: coming you into know, mental health
1: yeah <laughs> talk yeah because you know I, we all it's just like you say it all I talk about it like every
0: best. episode every episode we somehow yeah. get on because it. it's so important and there's it's not enough of a important. focus on it in the U.S. It really isn't
1: it's not it's not and I think we don't do the best that we can for a lot of these um, chronic illnesses, with educating the public um, about some of these diseases. But I know for a fact we do a very poor job of addressing mental health and coping. And especially when you look at someone who is what 15 years old being diagnosed with their first chronic illness, that's a lot to soak in and take in. You know, it's at any age, but your teen years are already such a crucial age to begin with and then now you have to throw this in the midst of it and so you have body image issues you have isolation issues you have pain you know are you just a physical are you pain alone. pain
0: yeah. yeah yeah that was a big you one know? for me with colitis is the physical pain
1: mm-hmm. so. yeah it's, it's very painful it's very painful and um For me, I started off with um, peritoneal dialysis as a 15-year-old. And so it was the same thing right then, every night, 10 hours a night. And so you think about ages, 15, 16, 17-year-old, I'm a machine at 8 o'clock every night in order to get off at 6 o'clock in the morning and get ready for school the next day and then do it all over again. So you're isolated from your family because they're like, you know, in the living room or wherever you're in your bedroom. Uh, So it was a lot um, to process. And I tried to, um, when I hear about other families who are having to deal with that, you know, how the the dynamics changed. I mean, the dynamics changed in my household. I'm the oldest of the four girls. So, you know, my mom depended on me a lot, you Mm -hmm. know, for a lot of different things, but now... All that needs to shift because I, I can no longer be the one that she can count on every day because I don't feel the greatest or yeah. I might be at the, in the hospital or whatever is going on. So then family dynamics change and then how do families work through that and how do parents help their teens and young adults cope with that and how do adults cope with that Because a lot of
0: them don't. You know,
1: now you yeah,
0: it's difficult
1: very difficult
0: because i see them in a lot of the groups um especially the colitis Mm -hmm. groups people that are and Mm -hmm. and you know i got colitis at 17 um and we Mm -hmm. have this conversation you understand sometimes like i personally feel it's better to get a chronic illness when you're either like a teenager or when you're in your 40s and 50s the reason being is when you're a teenager you don't have a life yet when you're in your forties and your fifties, like if you had kids, they're old enough where you don't have to constantly take care of them. Like your life is hopefully stable enough with your job, career, and kids that you can deal with some massive changes. Cause I see a lot of people in the Crohn's and colitis groups at like 20, 30, you know, they just had a newborn or they're on their second kid, a couple years old, their new career, they're moving. They get diagnosed with a chronic illness, especially Crohn's or colitis, and they have zero energy to do anything because the, the mm-hmm. disease is just wiping them out and i see a lot of problems with it i see a lot of families breaking up oh, over yeah. it. a lot of marriages falling apart because of it and it's, oh yes it's a lot yeah. to change and that's it just is. on the adult side of it now kids i mean right. part part of why i mean this this podcast has been a idea for a long time um but, well just a general podcast slash YouTube. So one of the things that really got me more focused on it was a couple of years ago on the Crohn's and colitis groups. There was a story that was shared about a little 10 year old boy from Kentucky, seven bridges was his name. Um, And at 10, he had, it was either Crohn's or colitis, one of the two, but he ended up having his large intestine taken out after 26 surgeries, 26 surgeries by the age of 10. And he ended up hanging himself in his closet at 10 because he was getting bullied because he had a little pouch, you know, the little J pouch that they put on when they take your intestines out, you know, your large intestine out, whether they're putting it back together afterwards, it's a temporary permanent pouch. He was getting bullied so much. So he killed himself at 10 after dealing with 26 surgeries. I can't even imagine going through 26 surgeries and I'm 27. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with and that's a lot to make it through yeah. to have the kids at school be the reason that you you decide, nope, can't handle it. So men- mental yeah. health in the US and kind of swinging back to that is so, I think the system's so broken. We have one of the few countries in the world that has a suicide hotline. In case you get to that point, however, mm-hmm provide zero support for anywhere up until that point if your life's bad enough where you need to you are thinking about suicide you can call someone however you can't ask for help anywhere up until that point there's very few resources up until that like just talking about stress management talking about finding things and and prioritizing mental health and, and mental health time like especially when you're new to a chronic illness or you're dealing with one or a disability or some you know, major health change that's drastically affecting your life, prioritizing mental health is super important. And I don't think people definitely, you know, they definitely don't understand, like mental health doesn't mean you have to go and like walk in the woods. There's so many things you can do. It could be writing. It could be painting. It could be singing, playing an instrument. It could be watching your favorite TV show, rewatching your favorite movie. coloring. Yeah. It could be (laughs) coloring. Like I'm a gamer. I enjoy gaming sometimes. I also do photography. Mm -hmm. Photography is a really big one for me. It's super relaxing because I'm focused Mm -hmm. on everything I don't normally pay attention to out in nature. So taking the time and prioritizing that is super important. And I think with how connected everybody is nowadays, unfortunately, it's, it's hard to set down your friend's or your, your you know, Facebook or social media and take that time to be like, no, you know what, I need to take a nap today. I need to go and I need right. to chill on the beach. I need to go do something um, because there's all those distractions. And unfortunately, as as you get older on the professional side, a lot of um a lot of the business culture doesn't really lean towards, hey, take time for your mental health. Especially if you ever get to the point of being suicidal, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people worry about talking about mental health, even if they're just depressed, because it could affect their job, affect their livelihood.
1: Exactly. So they don't want to get help exactly.
0: because of that, that fear and kind of that stigma around it. It's like, oh, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons, especially when you're in the chronic community or you're disabled, that you're dealing with a lot. You're going to be stressed out. You're going to feel depressed because there's just a lot you deal with dealing with doctors, medications, all the conversations, updating your friends and family about everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we've all had that like occasional test that we have to take that your doctor tells you about and they tell you about all the horrible reasons why you have to take the test, even the little tiny chance that it is, but they still Mm -hmm. want to test you for it. So it's Mm -hmm. it's a lot and it's okay to deal with a lot, but taking that time to kind of pause- ground yourself and be like all right you know what i'm i'm taking a couple hours i'm gonna play a game i'm gonna read a book i'm gonna do something that i can just focus on that kind of reset your your mind and get back at the actual issues on hand afterwards super important
1: something yeah about practicing some self-care
0: yep yep which,
1: you know it's extremely important and i think another reason why that is, um, it's not addressed so readily because a lot of people don't recognize symptoms. You know, So like I was having a conversation with um, someone the other day and you know, just as something as basic as hygiene, a lot of people are, especially now with COVID, it's like, oh, well, you know, there's just hygiene and just going out the door, but poor hygiene is definitely a sign, it could be rather a sign lack of motivation uh, a mental health issue yeah, yeah you, you, don't, know, you don't you don't feel like doing energy. anything that's it you can't even get up most of enough strength to you know take a shower or brush your teeth you know but a lot of people will put it in compartmentalize it and just you know they're exhausted they're tired they're extremely fatigued and well and that we comes along start with it and identifying it
0: mm-hmm. the, the yeah. fatigue definitely comes because along you're with so the...
1: used to feeling like that you know, so you can't tell the difference. Am I just extremely tired or am I depressed? You know, because depression is not always just laying in bed crying. No. You know, no. it manifests itself a lot of different ways. And I think there needs to be a lot of more education on how that looks so people can identify it a little bit more readily also.
0: Well, I think, I think focusing how it looks, I think focusing on you're, you're not like a horrible person. If you feel depressed, like mm-hmm. everybody deals with mm-hmm. it in some level. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's okay mm-hmm. to be depressed. Like there's logical reasons you can be depressed. You got a bunch mm-hmm. of medical debt. Yeah. It's depressing. Is it something, mm-hmm. you know, that, and, and that's something that I've kind of looked at. And I think I've had conversations about, you know, there's, there's different types of depression and reasons to be depressed as well. There's the things that logically make sense. A family member passes away. There's a good chance you're going to be depressed because there's this horrible thing that happens. Um, Is there something you can do to fix it? No, you kind of just have to work through it. And and as you kind of accept it and and come to the understanding of it, it can get better. And then you have the things that are like cause and effect of like actual things that happen to you. Why are you depressed? Well, um, I got a bunch of medical debt because I have this illness. And because of that, I can't go do X, Y, or Z with my friends or my social group because you can't afford it. And that's depressing. Right. Is that something that's going to go away? Yep. yep. You know, once that medical debt's paid off, once you work through that, then you're going to go back to what you're doing. Boom, problem solved. So there's, there's definitely different reasons for it. and I know part of it is, hey, you know, this is a change in my life that I have to wait on like debt. And then part of it is, okay, you know what? I have this chronic illness or this disability now there's certain things in life that I wanted to do that just aren't going to happen and kind of accepting it. So there's there's very different reasons for it and I guess how it affects you, especially in the long-term. I think I've yeah. definitely dealt with both, it, it, both over the long-term as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, acceptance is a really huge part of it. I mean, you you are not going to have the ability to cope if you have not accepted it. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So this- you know you have to accept it to a, a, a certain degree you might not be out here jumping and running through rainbows like yay you know i'm good but it takes you a while have to realize that it's there and it's something that you have to live with or the alternative those are, those are your choices and because i get asked a lot well how did you keep going all those years you know through surgery after surgery and transplants and still working and and I mean, what's the alternative? You know, for me, after I was diagnosed with lupus and it just kind of killed my kidneys, For I'm one of the fortunate ones that I didn't have a lot of, of the other issues with any other organ. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of just damaged my kidneys and it went on by its business. And then I just had the, the fallout from, you know, kidneys. Something that you can actually I mean, work I literally... With. Just last year, had both of my native kidneys removed. Yeah, and and that's what I try to tell people when they're diagnosed with kidney disease. It's not, um, it's not necessarily always going to be a death sentence. And this is how I look at it. This is how I made it make sense in my mind. When you think about the different organs, your heart. Your... Okay. All right. You
0: still hear me? Okay.
1: So, there we uh, go I hear you. So when you think about um, the, the different organs so this is how I, I reconciled it in my head So when I think about the different organs I think about your heart, your lungs, your kidney um, your heart but the kidney is the one organ that you can live on a machine. You know, if, if there's anything else in stage going on with any other organ, you know, you already know what the ultimate result is gonna be. And so that's why I try to tell people when you are diagnosed with kidney disease and you end up having to go on dialysis, try to keep some perspective about it because you, at the very least, it's not ideal by any means whatsoever. It's not ideal to have to go into a facility three days a week. For three to four hours and it's not ideal to be connected to a machine at home for 10 hours at night Um, however it is still allowing you to be able to live and and keep moving and you can still form your life work start a business you know whatever you want to do around that versus just saying okay well it's my heart it's in stage and there's nothing i can do about my heart and so that's how I was able to keep it into um, perspective all these years to just understand that I had options. Yeah, and then of course you know the transplant list.
0: Well, and that's and that's important, and it and it takes time. Um, I mean, you know, I've had colitis for ten years now, and I think the first three years of it, I kind of just hated life
1: because mm-hmm. everything
0: was changing. I was getting you know getting used to the changing um no the the first three years colitis definitely broke me as a person a hundred percent it broke everything that i was um and i think the seven years since then it's been rebuilding who i am as a person but looking back at it um it's kind of one of the things that i talk about from time to time and, and one of the i guess mottos i follow um it's my three p's so pain puts things into perspective And with that perspective, you can find a purpose. And I think that a lot of chronic illnesses and a lot of disabilities, and I know from my personal experience, they suck. Like they really do. There are absolutely like horrendous lows that are darker than, you know, a lot of people want to talk about or admit, and it changes you. It really does. But I think at the end of the day, once you make it past that point, Um, and you've come to accept what you're dealing with and you start to have a routine and you get, I guess, more comfortable with whatever you're dealing with, even though it may still be you know, painful in general. We are a lot stronger because of it. Not only physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, we are stronger because of it. Because one, if you're dealing with physical pain, your body becomes used to it. You build up a pain tolerance. I mean the pain that I felt when my colitis was flaring up in like 85% of my colon was the worst pain I have ever felt in my entire life. And it went on for like a month straight. Like I wasn't, I broke a bone and I was good and it went away after like a day or they gave me some pain. Like, no, it was, it was like a month straight. I was in a horrible flare up because I, you know, 17, I wasn't very good at taking care of myself yet. Yeah. Um, nor was I good at communicating with my doctor. But, you know, looking back on it, I made it through it. It wasn't fun. I made it through it. They're they're normal people that are perfectly healthy. Like they break a bone and their world ends or, you know, they get a cold for the week and they have the flu and their entire world stops because they don't know how to handle it or it's too much for them. Like we're stronger because of what we deal with just physically, let alone, you know, mentally and emotionally, because mentally and emotionally, like everything changes everything about Mm -hmm. our life changes, my diet completely, like I'm a big food person. I don't eat half of the stuff I used to eat and love because I can't because my colitis doesn't keep up with it. Uh, Emotionally, it changes because your social life or, you know, relationships change, work life changes. Like we have to adapt to so much more on a regular basis. And because of that, I think we're stronger than the average person. We can deal with more than the average person. I used to work retail and I can't tell you how many people would just lose their minds because a couple of days before Thanksgiving, their dishwasher got delayed or their new refrigerator wasn't going to be there in time. It must be so nice that the biggest problem in your world is your dishwasher is not going to be there for Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. You're going to have to get a sponge and some soap out like that must be so nice to be the only problem in your world. So, right. so at the end of the, the day. Not the fact that you're going. Yeah, I, it's, oh, it's just, it blows my mind. At the end of the day, like what we deal with and, and how much stronger we are and how much more, you know, it builds our character as much as it sucks to say, like, yeah, it wasn't fun, but I can deal with a hell of a lot more than the average person can. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful for that aspect.
1: Well, you, you build up your, your resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it the resi- your resilience muscle and your grit and your perseverance and all these good words that you throw out, but it's it's really true. I mean, it's it really the things that will aggravate or um, disrupt a whole day for the average person. It does not do that for the same the person with the uh, chronic illness after a certain t- after a little time.
0: Yeah. Now, yeah.
1: you could have a chronic illness and for 10 years, and then one day you just have you just having a bad day. But typically, after a certain time, it's, it's just kind of, you know, it's just par for the course, you know, just one more hurdle, one more challenge, but you still have to be in the right mindset to be able to deal with that one more hurdle. One more challenge, and that's when you got to have those um coping mechanisms so when those challenges do come along, you can be in that right mind frame to say, Okay, Alex, you can do this, you got this, you've been dealing with this for 11 years, you already know what the drill is, and you give yourself a little pep talk, you go on. Um, but yeah, people people lose their stuff over a lot of crazy stuff, and I'm like they learned about the dishwasher not being delivered but you got to figure out how to develop a whole meal around your particular diet you got to go and figure out you know sidestep all the, the the dishes if you're going to someone else's house to eat you know, you know and how many people so, eat um, their
0: feelings like <laughs> you know how yeah. many people eat their feelings yeah that's not an option when you have colitis like you don't eat that makes it worse you gonna
1: eat ice cream yep, yep. and just sit there and watch netflix <laughs> and it's not going down
0: <laughs> that's like suicide like yeah mm-hmm. you eat yep. your favorite food that you can't eat anymore like no no that's you're just you're just taking whatever cliff that you're on you're just diving off of it when you have Crohn's yep. or colitis because that's yep. I mean because some people do that like you know they're they're feeling bad they got their favorite like you know some home cooked food some soul foods, some candy, like whatever it is, you got that that go-to. Some, you know, your Jamocha almond fudge coffee ice cream. Oh, I love ice cream, it just doesn't love me. Um yeah. and and it's and, and everyone's like, well, there's alternatives. Alternatives don't taste exactly the same. Like they are not as satisfying. When I get a lactose-free ice cream, it is nowhere near as satisfying as the actual thing that I regret eating, right. but yeah no and it's that's one of those things to keep in mind like some people some people yeah I can't eat my feelings away anymore so I have I have gaming and photography that works for me but thankfully my colitis Mm -hmm. is pretty under control so I can actually get away with certain things but been in pretty good remission for quite a while
1: that's awesome yeah it's awesome took a while but that's really all you know most of us are working towards, you know, you have a chronic illness. You just want, you know, weeks, days, weeks, months, years that is not ever big of an issue. You know, and that's the and thing. We're not I even going know, for
0: normal. We're just going for not that bad.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're
0: just like, all right, exactly. you know what? We're not going to go surfing. We can't do surfing. <laughs> but hey, could I ride a bike? Yeah. Like, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what right. we shoot for, and then people that can do everything—they're like, ah, I don't focus want to focus on what you
1: this. can do. Yeah, 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 and but that still that still goes back. You you have to be in their headspace just to be able to do that. You know, you 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 just you just have to be there. And I know that when um, Dallas patients, when they're picking a modality. So, like, I do peritoneal dialysis, so that means I have, you know, a catheter coming out of my stomach, not quite like a bag, but nonetheless, it's something that doesn't belong there. And so, you know, you only want to swim in chlorinated pools. I eat your own pool. You don't swim swimmers and then get this diagnosis that is detrimental for them. You know, uh, for people who are not shower takers, but they love to take a bath and soak, and now they have to go on peritoneal dialysis. Sometimes, I mean, that's a deal breaker. I have a good friend. Her mom just had to start dialysis. And that's why she really needed to go the peritoneal dialysis route because it's a little easier on her heart. She's older and she has a bad heart. Mm -hmm. But all she could focus on was the fact that she couldn't take a bath every day anymore because of this catheter and risk of infection well you know you're 70 years old It, you know your mindset is your mindset but there are a lot of people who can't get past things like that and so when you start have to decide what type of treatment it all plays a part in deciding what treatment that you're going to do when you're um, on dialysis and because it depends on what type of access you're going to have. I and mean, What's your lifestyle? And do you have little kids at home? Can you even be connected to a machine all night? You know, it's a lot of different things. And um, I just don't, you know, the magnitude of everything you have to think about and make decisions about, it just can be really overwhelming sometimes for a lot of people. Well, yeah, and that, well, and I
0: think I think part of that too, I mean, depending on, It's definitely condition-based, but I know for like colitis-based, some of the medications I've been on, there's different restrictions to different medications. And unfortunately, not all doctors talk about those restrictions before starting the medication. Um, And depending on what you're on, like personally, I'm on Remicade now. It's a IV-based infusion. I get it every six Mm -hmm. weeks. Um, Now, Remicade for example, is not a medication, you can just stop and come back onto. You stop Remicade, your body builds up antibodies to it. And you have to, if you can come back onto it, you have to wait a long time. So I I did take like a three-year break in between um, treatments. And thankfully, I was able to come back onto it. But that's one of those examples, like not getting the right information, having to start something new, realizing there's limitations around it well, if you're on Remicade, now you can't go back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're stuck with this new option a lot of the time. So it's there's a lot of things to take in, into account. And so I try to try to stress a lot, like, hey, when you're dealing with something, ask as many questions as you can about medications with your doctor, because there's a lot of restrictions around it. Um, some of the things I think, yeah, 6MP is a medication that they use for Crohn's and colitis. And I believe that's the one where you, have to be very careful when you go outside because it increases your chances of skin cancer if you're out in the sun so it makes your skin a lot more sensitive than it normally is i've never personally been on it i know my doctor had talked about it and i was like absolutely not i go outside too much like i'm i'm part french canadian and greek i don't generally put sunscreen on and i don't think about it if i'm not outside for ridiculous amounts of time so no i do not want to be a medication where it increases my chance for Skin cancer. I'm good.
1: Right. And I told my doctor, I'm like,
0: I'm not putting, like, I'm not going to remember to put sunscreen on. I'm not going on that medication.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's like a lupus patient with the photosensitivity and the sunscreen and all that. And it's, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, I, the system is broken. It's broken from an educational standpoint and it's broken from a mental health standpoint. And it's gonna take, you know, doctors, other healthcare professionals, people like us that are strong advocates um, regarding our chronic illnesses to help bridge those, close those gaps in there.
0: And honestly, it's becoming common enough, like starting to have a conversation around hey, maybe we should start ta- teaching this in schools. Like, mm-hmm kids are starting to get more chronic illnesses and diseases and disabilities like maybe there needs to be some education around it at the at the school level because it's becoming such a common thing as sad as that is to say kids are starting to get stuff more and more often you see more and more kids with i mean when when i had colitis at 17 it was less of a common thing like at 17 10 years ago colitis was not common in kids I was one of the rarer cases. Now you have kids that are like under ten that have Crohn's colitis, they have all these diseases, and it's just a, it's a more common thing. Yeah, there's more pediatric yeah. focus on specialties, which was never a thing before.
1: Yeah, S- same with kidney disease. Um, I always was one of the youngest. even when I decided to go into in center my junior year of high school, I was still the youngest you know person there. Um, but now it's a lot more common, like even here, um, they will say you will stay if you're diagnosed under the age of twenty six, most likely you're over at the children's hospital until you're age twenty six, um, with kidney disease and then you have to transition into the adult clinics, which in my opinion is, is extremely difficult. I think they should try to transition out a little earlier, but that's my opinion about it. But um, you're right. I think a lot of it needs to be taught in schools just uh, more about illnesses in general, because yeah. they're just across the board. And we have families that are, like you said, literally crumbling. Just forget about the marriages that are crumbling. You know, you have whole families that are crumbling um, when a chronic chronic illness hits. And it's it's really to the family unit.
0: And I think I think part of the problem, one of the things that I'm trying to focus on with the podcast, um, is unfortunately I think some of these sub, well I think I think smaller groups have their benefits, but I think they also hurt the community in general. So the way that I look at chronic illness, disabilities, and other kind of diseases and stuff, whether they're um, progressive or chronic. I believe that we all deal with 70, 80% of the same stuff, regardless of what we're diagnosed with. And then 20 to 30% of what we're dealing with is specific to our diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. part of the problem with that, that I find is the support groups, the education, a lot of what people are dealing with, they can talk about outside of their actual diagnoses with a lot of other people. Like I could tell you how often I get frustrated with my doctor. Every single person that has a chronic illness, disability or you know, that's, that's going to a doctor on a regular basis has dealt with that at some point mm-hmm. or medications. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be specifically a gastroenterologist because I'm, I have colitis. It can be, we all deal with the bad doctors from time to time and they all drive us crazy. Or we go and we sit in the waiting room for two hours because they're late. We got there 30 minutes early and we're still waiting for two hours. Like just, just small things like that. There's so many things that we relate to. And I want to try to bring a lot of the groups together because I think as a whole, we need to kind of focus on pulling our groups all together and have one big group and then have our small groups that we break out into. Like, you know, if you have specific disease questions, which are really important to have, but I think we need more bigger groups so that we can actually start making some of the changes we need. Start, you know, pushing for education in school. Start making changes with the government that helps our community. Um, mm-hmm. And I talk about it from time to time. Crohn's and colitis is lumped together under the CDC under irritable bowel disease. Okay. As of twenty fifteen, there's around three million. U.S. adults that have Crohn's and colitis. 3 million, that's it. So if we got 100% of everybody with Crohn's and colitis, 100%, which is damn near impossible when it comes to any sort of marketing or getting people involved, you're lucky if you're getting 10, 20%, let alone 100% of people. So if we had 100% of mm-hmm. Crohn's and colitis to fight whatever cause, you know, whether it's a change that specifically affects us, it's not a very big group in the US. However, I looked it up. The US, about 48% of the US adults have dealt with some sort, some form of major health concern in their life. It can be something that goes away, that might not be chronic or a disability. And that also includes all the people that do have chronic and disability, you know, disabilities in general. 48 and some change percent. It's not. I can't remember what the exact number is but that's roughly like 165 million people in the us roughly if you can get 10 of that 20 of that you have a lot more people pushing a cause helping protect the cause when there's an issue like you know the insulin costs going up or the EpiPens that they were having issues with the cost for a while You don't have just the people of that community fighting and pushing back against that and pushing the government to make positive changes. You have the whole community pushing for a change. And whenever one specific group gets targeted, whether it's a medication target or something that affects how we we receive health, our health care, we can go after it as a whole. You you can go into the group and be like, hey, guys, diabetes, they need some help. They're having some issues. We need the whole group to help. Hey, colitis is having some issues. Hey, people have kidney disease. They need some help. Their group's not big enough to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. We need to help them. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of part of the the grand goal with the podcast is to create a community that's just one big community of a bunch of broken people trying to make everybody else better, at least the best that we can. Because we can't, I mean, everything that we're dealing with, we can't fix. But I talk about it a lot. Like if I can make it suck less, for a, a lot of people like that's great because what exactly. I dealt with was horrible if I could have had like hey give me a roadmap to make it suck less like I would have been on uh, on on board like hey sign me up
1: right right and I think
0: as a big community that's what that's what needs to happen
1: uh, you're right i I couldn't agree with you more because you know you're mightier and that's what I found over the last year year and a half that a a lot of it can be equated to any chronic illness that you have except for that little percentage that's specific to the illness but everything else emotions mental health even a lot of the diet you know um social life work life social isolation working you know some um acknowledge and try to follow ada guidelines and some Act like the ADA guidelines are not even there. And just how many more lives will be improved if those who could have some type of assistance where, because everyone that stopped working with a chronic illness doesn't stop working because they don't feel well. Some of them just stop working because some, some of the employers just simply refuse to work with a needed schedule you know, just refuse to allow the time off they need to go to the physician's office, or if they're ill, they have some FMLA. You know, it's it's, it's just so much. Um, but I agree. the 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 larger the group is, the more you can do for any one group. I love that idea of okay, you know, Crohn's and colitis. You know, they need some help from over here from you know, the diabetics, the hypertensive, the, the heart disease, the kidney disease. And then, you know, next week it might be someone else that needs to help. And well, I, think,
0: I think, advocacy. I think part of that too, is pulling the groups together. We're a, a much bigger group
1: mm-hmm. and
0: being a much bigger group, you can't dismiss us. Right. We're, we're getting to the point and the statistics are pushing where perfectly healthy people are going to be the minority in the United States.
1: We- Unhealthy
0: people are going to be the majority. So the fact that we're being alienated for these individual diseases, yeah, there's only 3 million people with colitis, but half of the U.S. is broken. I've had some form of, of health condition that we've had to yeah. deal with. Like I got a broken butt, somebody might have a broken yeah. leg. It's just, it, you know, there's, there's different things and, mm-hmm. and to treat us as lesser because of that is just like, you're to be careful. We're going to, we're going to overtake all the healthy people soon.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We're going to be the ones yeah. making all the decisions because right. there's going to be less
0: healthy people than, than people that have chronic illnesses or disabilities or that are, that, you know, things that act up
1: and, you know. I had this conversation with my husband all the time because he's, you know, fit your health, 59, yeah, 58, 59 years old, fit your health. And here I am nine years younger than him. And, you know, some days just barely moving along. And I'm like, you know, you never know when those ties can change, you know? And not only do we need to be advocates for ourselves but our families need to be advocates, not only for us, but for other chronic illnesses. Because you, you just, you just never know, and nothing is going to change. We already know nothing changes unless there's a lot of noise behind. it. What did it say? The the squeaky wheels get the oil. Mm-hmm. If you don't throw nope. a lot of noise behind it, nothing is going to change. One,
0: and part of that too, like like the way I see it, there's a couple of things that change. You know, as you build a bigger group, there's more support. More support means that we can push for more support when it comes to healthcare, better systems that work for us, better education around it. But as the quality of life goes up for people that have chronic illnesses, chronic conditions, that means the suicide rate goes down. And one of the big Mm -hmm. focuses for me, when the suicide rate goes down, there's more people that are in the community that have a disease, have an illness. Now. If a community helps someone at a younger age, at a specific age, somebody when they're struggling, be, you know, whatever they're dealing with um, and whatever condition they're dealing with while they're changing, the person's more likely to start helping in the community. Well, what if somebody with colitis who just got diagnosed, fully blown out, like like myself, you know, it it was the worst thing they've ever dealt with, suicidal, And community can kind of bring them back over the edge. Well, what if that person decides they want to be a doctor or a nurse? Or what if that person decides they want to go research the causes of these diseases?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Us helping the community, we might end up saving the person that cures some of these diseases. Because they dealt with it. They were at that super low point and they were able to come back from it. Well, maybe they want to make a difference now. Maybe they want to dedicate their life to studying the disease, and maybe they end up being the one that that cures it or that comes up with Mm -hmm. a treatment that is so much less money or that the side effects aren't that bad. You know, I think that when you look at the health community, I think the only place you see a community like this is the cancer community. The cancer community is exactly what we need. For the entire chronic community they do a really good job at pulling everybody together that's affected by cancer and they do a ton of research they have a ton of support because they created a community around it if we could do that with the chronic community if we could do that with the disabled community and even the you know the terminal community for like family members and, and education along the way people that are going through those diseases we could create a system that my proxy makes it better for everybody. And because it's better for everybody, more likely to find a fix for those diseases. Because is the thing. Like, I think about it a lot. Um, I mean, when I first got diagnosed and when I was first time I went to the hospital, right before I went to the hospital, I was super suicidal. I would think about it every single night because the pain was so bad. Um, but I managed, you know, I made it through it. And I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. And I'm here now. Well, now i'm making a podcast i'm trying to make a difference with it now that 10 year old that committed suicide what if he was still here what if he got help what change could he have potentially made because 26 surgeries for colette i feel like if i grew up i would be super determined to fix colitis just to, just to win. Like, you know what, Clay, you made my life suck so much. I'm going to figure out how to fix it. Just kind of thing. Cause there's, there's gotta be those people out there where if, if they would have made it past that, that low point for themselves, they might've made a massive difference for whatever community or whatever illness they were a part of. And I think that's, that's another big part of it. You know, you never know who's going to make a difference and these people, especially, I think especially the kids, the kids that are getting it super young, because um, Seven Bridges, his, he was 10, and he had already had 26 surgeries. So I'm going to take a wild guess and say that he was dealing with that for most of his life. So that's the person, that's the kid that's going to grow up and be like, you know what, I want to be a doctor and figure out how to fix this getting the support building the community especially for the kids and on top of that for the families that support the kids that you know know nothing about chronic illnesses that now have a kid that's diagnosed thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast i appreciate everyone make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info We've got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts. So make sure you guys stop by if anyone's looking to share their story, volunteer, either time or experience. There's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved. As always, I appreciate you guys and I'll see you in the next one.